This is Heather White, and you are listening to the Authenticity Addicts Podcast, the place where it is safe to be an addict, because what we're obsessed with is our life's truth. What's up, Authenticity Addicts? It's Heather White. Welcome back to the Authenticity Addicts podcast. Super excited for today's episode. I think I'm going to call this one misinterpretation, as in like misinterpretation, M-I-S-S. Uh, like she's a thing. I'm going to kind of personify her a little bit today because even for the guys that are listening, we could call that Mr. Interpretation, but it wouldn't be such a fun play on words, but bear with me. I think you'll be able to follow along quite easily. You know, there's, it's a funny thing because when we're on this path uh, of authenticity addiction, right, we're, we're really ruthlessly pursuing our life's truth. And it's a path of evolution. It's a path of continual unfolding uh, growth, if you will, like living in that fine line between, you know, discomfort and fear, constantly letting go of the old models, the old beliefs, the old thoughts about who we were, so we can continue to move into the experience of who we're capable of being, who we really are, what our deep truth is, you know, coming, generating from that deeper, wider center within ourselves. You want to call it soul or maybe in more science terms, you want to call it presence. That wasn't really sciencey, but <laughs> anyway, bottom line, like we are, we're literally unfolding from that place deep within ourselves. On that path, however, right, we still have to honor our humanity. We want to find that balance between, let's call it our divinity and our humanity or our spirituality and our humanity. And we can't push away one for the other. It's a really tricky thing. We really have to honor both experiences simultaneously, at least from my experience and from the teachers that I resonate with most deeply. When we push away one in favor of the other, we kind of lose the experience that the duality of being a human really offers us. And inside duality is enormous amount of paradox. That's what's kind of fascinating. So misinterpretation, one of the things that I felt really passionate that I wanted to jam on quite a bit is the idea of comparison. There's a quote by Theodore Roosevelt, I think it is. I apologize if I got that wrong, but it says comparison is the thief of joy, I believe is the way it goes. Again, so I want to kind of drill into the paradox of what I believe comparison is, because the thing is, I think we have a bit of a disease in our culture of self loathing, self-hatred, self-criticism, whatever you want to call it, particularly amongst women and particularly because I am a woman. I think I see it a lot with women, but I think it exists with men as well. We're kind of addicted to beating ourselves up, to criticizing ourselves, to coming down hard on ourselves. And particularly, I think that's because we kind of inherit the voice of our parents. And I think just if we could speak in general terms, in many cases, our parents and the parents that raised them, right? These are things that are passed along the bloodlines generation by generation. They want us to be safe. They want us to survive, bottom line. And so a lot of times from their adult perspective, they're going to point out things that are childlike versions are, you know, maybe misstepping or mistaking as it will and try to put you back into line of their perception of what safety and security is all about. So I don't think they mean any harm by it. I mean, some of us had 
more challenging childhoods than others, but I think we could just kind of summarize it from that perspective. They did the best they could with what they had. They were coming from a place of protection. If you're coming from a place of protection, which I think is only natural if you're a parent, I'm not a parent, so take that from me, but I think that's a normal place to be. And again, if you're not fully conscious of the journey of a soul, let's say, right? And I think it's kind of hard to not get caught in your role as a parent when you've got a precious little being in front of you. But I think in an effort to protect them, we're coming from a premise that, you know, the world is a scary place. And and in some cases, that's true, right? So, however, when we come from that perspective, the world is a scary place, you have to act and be and say a certain way, say certain things, be a certain way, show up in the world in a certain way in order to be accepted by your peers, by the social norms. Why do we have to be accepted by our peers and social norms? Well, because if we're not, then we're outcasts. And if we're outcasts, then we are vulnerable vulnerable for all kinds of things, you know, I mean, just practically vulnerable for falling into the fringe or falling out of social connection, you know, you might end up with drugs or uh, alcohol, or you might end up in a gang, or you might end up, right, I mean, we could go down the catastrophic lens of all the things that could potentially happen. So if you're a parent, right, I think you can relate to that, right, you want to protect your kid, you want to allow them the fertile soil of their childhood to the degree in which you can so that they can grow and thrive and be the person that you know they're capable of being. But I think what happens, unfortunately, is that in many cases that sounds like criticism. It sounds like you're not doing this right, you're not saying that right, or you're not showing up in the right way, or don't wear that, or don't be like that, or don't talk like that. And again, that narrative, I think, just gets internalized for many of us. And by the time we become an adult, it's just a living, breathing tape that plays unconsciously all day every day. As a result of that, we as adults, I think, walk around with, you know, a real inner critic, pretty loud inner critic, kind of questioning everything we do. And again, I think it's rooted in protection. It's rooted in safety. It's rooted in security. So it's rooted in survival. I don't have anything against it. I'm not bashing the inner critic. I I don't even think we need to get rid of it. I think we just need to understand it. We need to have compassion for it. And in many cases, we need to outgrow it or at least recognize like, I don't need to listen to that. It's like a radio station, you know, and there's many radio stations to choose from. And that's probably not the one you're going to listen to, particularly if you're on the path that we're on. You know, if you're an authenticity addict on a path of self-actualization, you're not going to want to tune into the inner critic. (laughs) So, you know, radio station. What does this have to do with comparison? Well, what I've noticed is that there's kind of this idea that we should not compare, that in some way comparison is a bad thing. So further to that, what I've noticed is even the act of comparing, even when it happens unconsciously, naturally, without thinking about it, instantly comes in this new voice, which is criticizing the fact that you're comparing at all. Oh my God, I can't believe I'm comparing. What's the matter with me? Comparison is the thief of all joy. I shouldn't be comparing. Social media is the devil. I shouldn't be on there because I constantly compare myself, then I feel bad. So if you listen to that very carefully, what you'll notice is that it's not the comparing or the act of comparing that's really the the trigger there. It's the thought about what comparing means that actually becomes the real trigger there. The paradox for me is I think, again, comparison is just information. If you have no reaction, and I can almost guarantee you, you can scroll through all kinds of social media channels, you can look on all kinds of web pages, and not everything is going to attract your attention. You're not going to compare yourself to everybody and everything. It's just not the way you are. You're built to notice things that are a vibrational match to you. That sometimes is a good thing and that sometimes can be 
information that's asking you to maybe let something go energetically that's not serving you anymore. But regardless, the act of comparing is just another source of information. What you make it mean is the, the root, I think, of the challenge. And this is where this you know inspiration around misinterpretation comes from. Because in watching it, the second you go into self-judgment and self-criticism about comparing yourself to someone, A, you have instantly introduced negative triggers inside your own biochemistry because you're beating yourself up. The negative voice is there, so you're going to have floods of cortisol and adrenaline. So you're full of stress hormones. Your body is in fight or flight. It doesn't know why, uh, but the body doesn't need to know why. It simply just responds according to what it believes is happening. And we know it doesn't know the difference between real and imagined. And when we start making up narratives and stories and we start buying into them and really infusing them with emotion, the body starts responding accordingly. To back it up a few degrees, again, I think comparison is just information. Even as far as, let me give another example. So comparison that results in jealousy. My experience, again, when you have a reaction so you notice something in the outside world and your reaction is one that induces a feeling that we would call uh, a common term that we would all agree upon is jealousy and what jealousy in my experience really is about is Ivo often said like jealousy is inverted desire it's actually showing you something now I don't know that this is true in all cases this is just my experience personally in my own life especially when I find myself being jealous, I'm actually really excited because it tells me a couple of things as a general rule. It tells me I'm seeing something reflected back to me that I want. I don't know about you, but for me, I think the most frustrating part of life is a lack of clarity. That's the part that's the hardest. You know, when someone says, what's your dream? <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking a pretty woman, you know, that scene. Welcome to Hollywood. What's your dream? You know, and when someone asks you a big question like that, and I know that being, you know, having worked in coaching and personal development for over a decade, it's a daunting question. And so often we do have a real lack of clarity and a lack of clarity, at least for me, like that's the scariest part. And so when stuff comes towards you from the outside world as signs, signals, clues, information, that's really exciting. So when I feel jealous, I'm actually super excited because I know that I'm getting one thing, which is a lot of clarity, right? I wouldn't notice, like when you get to the point of jealousy, you know, there's a lot of noticing going on. There's something inside of me that's kind of like lit up, right? Because there's a lot of stuff that comes through and past my world all day, every day that I don't even notice, let alone have an emotional reaction like jealousy towards. And so when jealousy shows up, I'm kind of stoked because I know there's, there's something there for me to unpack. And in my experience, you know, usually what it comes down to is I'm seeing something that I desire that I actually have a conflicting belief about the ability to ever have it. So in other words, I'm noticing something about somebody else that's something that I, you know, I want for myself, but I have some kind of cognitive dissonance or some kind of conflicting belief about the idea of ever being able to have it myself. And so the response to that, like the way that my meaning making framework kicks back some info about that is it comes back as jealousy. And then oftentimes, you know, we'll create a narrative about that person right? Because that's the only way my sort of ego side can reconcile itself. For example, uh, and this again, should probably give us a lot to work with here. So I want a Range Rover. And okay, so you know, judgment ensue, go ahead. I know the environment is, uh, <laughs> you know, not Range Rover friendly, you know, we don't need another big carbon emitting SUV on the road. I appreciate that. And again, so let me say a whole bunch of things about this. Number one is we can't judge our desires. We just don't know why we want what we want. 
oftentimes if you judge your desire too prematurely, you lack the total capacity for that desire to do what it was intended to do in the first place, which in my opinion, a desire comes forward as a magnet. It's a magnet that is drawing you towards the evolution, especially when you're constantly rooted in a conversation like this one. When your intention, when you're inside of an intention about self-actualization, self-realization, becoming nothing less than the greatest possibility of the expression of the deepest essence of yourself, when you're inside that intention, desires are very purposeful in my opinion in the sense that they magnetize you towards that evolution so they they show up in your life they get your attention they call you towards them and that is not because i am going to get a range rover in fact i have no idea whether i'll ever get a range rover or not and i don't know what the desire means at this point all i know is i want a range rover there's nothing stopping me from taking some next steps towards that desire you know, I can research, I can test drive, and who knows what information that brings into my world, right? Who knows if the Range Rover, let's say, for example, uh, you know, I end up test driving a Range Rover and I meet the manager of the Range Rover store. And somehow that manager and I have something in common that leads me to getting a speaking engagement in London, United Kingdom, let's say, for example, who knows, I don't know. And then maybe the whole purpose of wanting the Range Rover was that that was the path of least resistance, the quickest way to connect me with the person that could connect me with the speaking gig in London, which was going to have a benevolent outcome for me, for the audience, for everybody involved. And the Range Rover was just the catalyst, the quickest way to move me from A to B. And in fact, it had nothing to do with me ever getting Range Rover, let's just say, for example. So what so many of us do, and I'm not innocent of this, is that we instantly judge our desire and shut it down. So for example, you know, I'm quite a humanitarian. I'm interested in the environment. I want to make decisions that are going to allow me to be a contributing member to the healing and the restoration of our planet. So a Range Rover, you know, a big SUV, gas guzzling, carbon emitting Range Rover, I mean, it doesn't make a lot of logical sense. It doesn't fully align with many of the values that I hold near and dear, right? So I could just, I could have instantly dismissed it, put it down, shut it down, not allowed myself to see it, want it, and start moving in the direction of it. But in my case, I, I, I didn't and I haven't. And I still, honestly, I mean, this is a real life ripe example. I, I have no idea what the Range Rover desire is all about, but I can tell you that early in the days when it was first showing up as a desire, there was a few people in my life that, in fact, I vividly remember one of my friends was gifted a Range Rover from her husband. And I mean, I love these people. <laughs> so so you can imagine my to my horror that my reaction was jealousy. Because again, I'm like, gosh, I mean, nobody wants to feel jealous, especially towards people that they love. But it was really helpful because one of the first things I realized was that there was a whole bunch of blocks that I had around luxury, around prosperity, around abundance. You know, it was an angle to a lot of those topics that I had worked through or thought I had worked through. But, you know, the Range Rover and the friend getting the Range Rover and it being a gift and a surprise and all the elements of that that evoked some jealousy in me. It was all this ripe and rich information that actually helped catalyze me in so many ways. Um, and that is the power of staying curious and not getting critical, right? So when we're comparing, I think we just have to honor the fact that the comparison is information to jump into a quick moment of self-criticism. 
when we instantly go into, oh my God, I shouldn't be comparing. And then it becomes a rabbit hole, right? I shouldn't be comparing. What's the matter with me? I know better than this. I shouldn't be on social media. Why am I on social media? And then you go and check and realize, oh my God, I've been on social media for four hours this week. Social media is killing us. You know, it's blocking us from our connection. And you just, right, you can, you can see me. I don't think I'm alone in the fact that especially, right, high achieving, high performing striving type, the people that listen to this kind of a podcast, the people like us, people that are pursuing the greatest experience for their life, we have a tendency to have these quick, overactive, over-functioning minds. And the mind has a thought, and then if it can hang on to that thought and evoke it with a bunch of emotion, then another thought that matches it comes along. And this is how we end up going down these rabbit holes that actually are totally unhelpful. Totally unhelpful. We're so much better off to just be curious about our comparison, curious about what we're noticing, and curious about the meaning that we make about it. Because ultimately, again, on the path of self-actualization, what we're trying to do is break down the old meaning-making frameworks that are getting us stuck so that we can open up to basically aligning with new new thoughts, which ultimately become new beliefs, which ultimately become new subconscious programming, which ultimately becomes new automatic ways of showing up in the world, which ultimately becomes new ways of being, which creates the new results and creates the evolutionary unfolding of your life. So if you never notice what you notice and you never notice what you make it mean, what your interpretation of it is, then it never serves the purpose that it was meant to serve, which was to give you some insight as to where your programming is at now and what might be some new thoughts, beliefs, subconscious beliefs, furthermore, actions and ways of being in the world that are going to be called of you should you want to advance to the next level of the unfolding. The only way, at least from my perspective, that we're ever going to be able to use that outside information coming into us as vehicles for our self-actualization is if we can stay open And if we can stay curious and if we can have enough compassion for ourselves, regardless of what reaction we're having and regardless of how much judgment we want so desperately to layer on top of our reaction, if we can stay curious, if there can be no bad reaction, right? If you can not see it as a positive or negative and you can just see it for what it is, which is that it is information, And you can stay open and curious about what you're currently making it mean, how much truth there is to that meaning making. If there is potentially another place you can stand and look from another vantage point in your own consciousness, a place where you might interpret that information differently or see how it's helping you grow, right? If you can reinterpret comparison from a place of curiosity and compassion instead of instantly jumping into a place of criticism. I think you'll be able to use it for what it is. It's grist for the mill, as Ram Dass would say. It's information for your transformation. It's all good. It's all good. I think this actually might turn into a little bit of a series because I've got some other things I want to jam on as it pertains to misinterpretation. Things like confidence. I think confidence is super misinterpreted. So I'm going to think about that a little more. Uh, in terms of saying no or yes, boundaries. I think there's a lot of misinterpretation there. Again, for me, I'm really interested in how can we how can we approach this whole thing from the lens that I'm on a path of self-actualization. Everything is coming to me to help me. And my ability to stay open and curious about the information that resonates with me and unpack it and do the work is really going to be indicative of how 
quickly and how far I can go along the path of my self-actualization. Criticism, self-loathing, self-hatred, it's just like a massive brick wall that you put up in front of yourself on your path. It just makes it longer, harder, slower, more painful. That's it for today. Stay curious. Authenticity Addicts, thank you so much for your dedication to your life's work. It absolutely means the world to me to be on this journey with each and every one of you. I love your comments and your ratings and your feedback. Uh, thank you so much. Just a reminder, if you're not subscribed, you can go ahead and do that so you never miss an episode, whether that's on iTunes or Blueberry, uh, blueberry.com, Authenticity Addicts podcast. You can sign up there as well for any Android users. And if you're an Apple user, iTunes.com. You can find us over there on the podcast section, the Authenticity Addicts podcast. Thanks again for listening. That's it for today.